Well, welcome once again, everybody, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and CST, that's Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker and Certified Sex Therapist and Couples Therapist and Family Therapist, here today with my lovely and beautiful producer, Vicki. How are you, Vicki? Hello, I'm doing wonderfully. How are you? I'm doing great, and we're we're you know full transparency, right? Gearing up for the holiday. Here. We are. It is. The holidays are upon us. I'm you know at my friend's house right now, helping her keep the dog occupied so she can <laughs> do what she has to do. <laughs> yeah, to that's get right. Ready. We were saying. Uh, your friend is your family, and so is the dog, and it's appropriate we're doing something about family therapy today, right? Yeah, actually today, while we're on that note, we're, we're talking about what is family and systemic therapy, and why is it important? So we're going to be talking all about that um, momentarily, but nice to see you, and we are gearing up for the Thanksgiving holiday, folks, in case you weren't uh, aware, um, the long weekend, and... I would like to make clear the mission of our podcast here. All right. So the mission of sex and couples therapy with the happy ending therapist is to help individuals, couples, and families embrace sex positive thinking. And that is because we want to sort of uh, have optimal health, including sexual health and wellness, right? Sort of the ultimate happiness, ultimate pleasure, ultimate just enjoyment of life. Um, you know, we go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams, prostate exams for our physical sexual health. And I always, th- I always think we owe it to ourselves to do checkups on the emotional and mental health aspects of sexual health. Again, for just optimal overall health and wellness and happiness and well-being. So that's Absolutely. our mission here. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you you got the dog there, so we're we're going to be very understanding if anything happens. It probably won't now that we've said it, but probably that's how it seems bark. to go, right? <laughs> uh, that's right, that's right. Um, so you have any uh, special plans or anything you're going to be making? I know that you said you're going to be helping your mom a bit with the cooking. Yeah, area. my my parents are hosting Thanksgiving. Very very thankful that we'll all be able to get together this year. So I'm just going to help mm. her get everything ready and. Go from there. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Wonderful. What are yeah, your actually, plans? My, well, my good girlfriend from New York moved here to this area uh, in New England, and she is hosting. So that is really nice because my um, mother-in-law is 92, wow. and she's done doing that after 60-plus years. Yeah. <laughs> And luckily, my my good girlfriend loves doing it. So we're just going to have, you know, a small gathering. And I'm making a couple of pies. Love pie. I can't wait to eat all the pie. Me too. (laughs) Yeah, I I do this. It's I don't know how I started doing this, but I do this. I'm sure everybody does it. It's this three-ingredient crust, which is actually five ingredients, um, including water and salt, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's just flaxseed and almond flour and tapioca flour, I think. Ooh. I, I can't remember. I have to review the recipe. But between that crust and then I've taken to this recipe that's Grandma Opal's apple pie recipe, but I cut everything in half, meaning like I don't do any white sugar. I cut the brown sugar in half. Um, but it's really cool because you make a sauce and then Ooh. you... 
they don't say to do this. They say to pour the sauce into the cut apples that are in the pie crust, but I actually go ahead and just sort of toss the apples in the sauce and boy, does it come out well. You know, if you have good apples, then, you know, you're good to go. I'm so picky about the apples that go into my apple pie. <laughs> Are you? How so? I just, it's there. I like a blend of specific apples. I think it tastes the best. And I just mm. love apple pie. It's just, mm. I know. It's so yummy so and comforting. Yeah. yeah. So what, what apples do you like? Can I ask? Um, I'm a big McCoon apple person. Oh, I'm yeah. A big mm-hmm. Macintosh person. Okay. Yeah. I think they're, yeah. I think they're good in the pie. Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds yummy that sounds really good yeah so what we're doing is we're all kind of pitching in like you know i'm I'm actually we're going to be bringing over grilled vegetables and actually my my mother-in-law who is just so cute and such a great cook she's doing a cranberry relish where she uses like raw cranberries and puts them in a meat grinder with like oranges and orange zest and it's it's really intense it's great Um, so you know like that uh, but it's going to be nice to have some time off and just chill a bit, right? I think so. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I hope everybody out there is going to have some downtime for this sort of long-ish weekend. I mean, I know some folks get the Thursday off, maybe not the Friday, but it's nice to have that extra day. Yeah. So shall we dive right into what is family and systemic therapy and why the heck is it important? Yes. Okay, good. Um, well, you know, I was saying for quite some time, you know, emphasizing that what I do is provide services um, helping people increase sexual health, relational health, their couple health. But I think using uh, the word family and family therapy is really important. And I'll explain what systemic therapy is in a second. Um, But a couple is a family. You know, if you've got a a couple who's either in a committed relationship or they're living together or they're married, I mean, they are family, right? They're building a life together and that's family. So right there, we can consider that family therapy. Um, And what a systemic therapist does is works to help people um, sort of reduce distress in the family system, and so we focus on the problem rather than the person as the problem, right? So when 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 we're focusing on the person as the problem, we run the risk of sort of pathologizing or focusing on a diagnosis, and that's not what family and systems therapists do. We're really looking at, you know, what is the problem? How can we help um, fix the problem or help people fix their own problem? whatever that identified problem is, um, to reduce distress in the family and, and increase, you know, productive relationships, pleasure, all that stuff. So it's brief, effective therapy. It can be uh, most often shorter term rather than longer term. And, and what I mean by that is um, short term uh, couple therapy or family therapy can be an average of 16 visits, which can happen over three to six months. Uh, it can be less if I... If I can get people through a problem and in and out and done, then, you know, that's great. In just a few sessions, that happens, which is really nice. Um, You know, I've had teens come in with parents or blended families where we've met maybe twice, three times. Uh, uh, You know, quite often older couples um, who've been together a long, long time, 30 years or 
beyond, 25, 30 years and beyond. Uh, might just be a few sessions, whether we're working on um, intimacy as the goal, mm-hmm. uh, sex therapy, or uh, couples therapy. And the difference is that if we're looking at sort of doing couples, family therapy, we're looking at more than just the aspect of intimacy, right? right. You know, working on how to resolve uh, problems around communication or in-laws or how to talk about money or mm-hmm. uh, egalitarian division of, you know, the tasks of the home or labor in the home, yeah. um, the blending of families, things like that, right? So um, five to 12 visits typically, if it's just sex therapy and we're working on intimacy, that's so nice because it's brief, it's effective, and I can help lots of people, which is right. really terrific. <laughs> um, so uh, it, it's kind of, I also think of it as an opportunity to roll back the clock and begin to learn how to attach or rewire, in essence, in our primary partners in the present in ways that create rich and sustainable relating and relationships. Because mm-hmm. lots of us, you know, we'll talk about attachment in a little bit, but lots of us are attachment to our, our initial caregivers or our family of origin um, isn't secure and smooth and flawless right there can be typically it can be you know anxious attachment um, uh, avoidant attachment anxious avoidant Um, there's also some uh, an attachment style called disorganized which is um, that that's one where things were extremely chaotic Um, uh, kids who are you know maybe foster children or just didn't grow up with with any Mm -hmm. modicum of security in their families of origin have a very difficult attachments. So, you know, in, in cases where uh, attachments are more difficult, um, therapy may take longer uh, than 16 sessions. That can happen. I mean, I have couples that I'm seeing, you know, 20 sessions, you know, 24. But I really, I, I sort of have a, a goal in mind, loosely. I don't, want to, I don't want people to feel pressured, but I have a goal in mind that I want to get people in and through and... And helped, and then they can say to me, Donna, we're good. We feel like right. we got what we came for, and how great is that? They come back sometimes if they're dealing with a new problem, and that's fine. All normal, all good. You know me, Vicky, right? I do a lot of normalizing, not uh, not looking at what's abnormal or what's the diagnosis or what's the pathology, so to speak. Does that make sense? It does. It's, it's getting your clients to to have the right tools and and know when to use them right it's kind of like just making sure they're building their toolboxes so that they can keep they can then go home and and use them the right way Mm -hmm. yeah and what's really nice is that i do see reduction of anxiety reduction of depression because when people are connecting they just start feeling better you know uh, as i often say it's not it's not one's job to be one's partner's therapist, but there is this beautiful and rich opportunity for healing, for rewiring the brain. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit about, you know, there's, there's this interesting paper I came across, and there's many, there's a lot of literature about neurobiology and attachment and healing. Um, and this particular paper by Phil Rich, um, ED, doctor of education, um, and LICSW, <laughs> writes about hope for change regarding negative attachment experiences. And actually, I'm going to start with, his, with this quote, which I think is nice, which I wasn't going to do, but let me do it. He says, although we cannot undo previously developed neural processes through the promise of brain plasticity and the effect of relationships on brain plasticity, we have the opportunity 
to modify existing neural pathways, condition currently developing synaptic connections, and influence the development of yet-to-be-formed neural circuits. So basically he's saying if we can heal our relationships, we can change, we can change our brains and rewire. You know when folks have strokes, um, there is a rewiring that happens, particularly in situations where people might lose hearing on one side. Uh, they work with physical therapists and occupational therapists and, and all of these folks, providers, who can help them begin to hear again, but that's because your brain begins rewiring. We're, we're adaptive as a species, right? So the work that I'm doing, which I love, um, it's so beautiful to see the healing happen when people turn and start talking to each other in a way that's productive rather than counterproductive or constructive rather than destructive. And it's not easy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not easy. I had a client the other day. This was so perfect. He said, you know, you're making me, Donna, think about juggling. I learned to juggle during COVID. And what I learned was there is no easy way to learn to juggle. You just got to do it and do it and do it and do it and do it until finally you go, wow, I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, so um, let's see. So rolling back the clock, you know, learning how to sort of attach in a new way to one's partner in the present. Mm -hmm. um, it's It's challenging and it's work, but it's, again... You know, if you think about this, if it's three to six months or even a year, let's say it's two years, right? Let's go kind of far out. You know, it's it's an investment over your lifetime. If we live to be in our 70s or 80s and we come in soon enough in the process, boy, we get a lot of, a lot of bang for the buck, so to speak. <laughs> it's right? just good. You know, it's, it's helping you learn to focus on different things so that you can be productive and actually mm -hmm. work together and you know that mm -hmm. it's not just a constant battle <laughs> it's just well exhausting. yeah yeah <laughs> right that's right that's right um because if we if we can learn to go at it in a way uh, where we're compassionate right or we are uh, able to sort of have more empathy or we're thinking differently we're we're understanding that we're not going to get everything that we want that like in a marriage, we're probably going to get 60% of what we want and 40% we're not. If we can come in with sort of a lot of that understanding in the way that we're thinking, shift it, and then start to do things differently to get something different, it saves the fallout later. Right. I mean, there's still going to be some fallout, right? There's differences in, in you know, ourselves and our partners or ourselves and our family members. There's differences. Um, but tolerating those differences is key. And, and that takes me to this, this, well, not idea, but there's a word, differentiation. And us systems therapists are big ones for differentiation, which is an idea from Murray Bowen. We might have talked about this before, um, where if we can uh, achieve differentiation in a family or a coupling, um, we learn to be distinctly different from the other. Um, and be appreciated for it or feel that that's okay, that we are, it's okay to be different. Um, respecting each other's differences, distinctions, disparities. Um, you know, we can be divergent, we can be separate, we can hold different points of view at the same time and say that that's okay. 
right? And focus right. on our similarities rather than focus on the differences, which is the thing that often trips us up because we want our partner to be just like us or do things just like us. And I mean, I can tell you from personal experience, if anyone, you know, is interested, that I have done this work and, you know, 23 years into my own relationship, I am much better at it, hmm. much better. And I'm much more relaxed and I'm much less anxious than I used to be. Yeah. Well, it's just, yeah. it's it's learning. I feel, and I don't know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like half of it is mm. learning how to do it with your partner almost. So it's learning how to do it for yourself and learning how to do it for your partner. Because you, yeah. you got to have both. You know, it's like saying, I feel sad. You can feel as sad as you want to feel, but what are you going to do about feeling sad? Right? Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. Yeah, because... Our feelings are really important, but they're actually not as important as what we do. Right. Feelings, the feelings are the guide to know what we need, right? Mm -hmm. So when I was, I talked about this probably recently, when I was really sad every year to be spending my winter birthday in the freezing cold Northeast, right? Um, I realized that I needed to be in the warmth, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be down south for my birthday near family and, and all that. And so, you know, I approached my partner and I said, can we do this next year on my birthday? Because I learned that I'm really sad being yeah. in the freezing cold and <laughs> yeah. snow on my birthday. And my partner luckily said, sure, let's yeah. do it. Let's try it. Let's see how that goes. So, you know, I didn't sit in my sadness and, and complain, um, which I have done in my life and I'm flawed and I'm, I've made a million mistakes. But at this point in time, I, I just decided, all right, let me have the feeling sort of guide me to know what I need and then mm -hmm. let me ask for that and now right. I may get it I may not so if my partner had said no I can't do that I probably would have gone t south anyway you know right to, to be in the warmth and be with family right um, would I have wanted my partner ideally to be with me well yeah but again you know there's that 60 40 right so right I might not have gotten that I feel incredibly lucky that my partner said yes but you know, I would have just figured it out. All right, well, maybe you come for part of the time or maybe you come next time and or not maybe, this time. Or maybe it's a girl's trip or maybe it's a, you know, something mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we, ha we have to sort of adapt and, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but sort of uh, connected to the point that you were making about, yeah, feeling versus doing – um, this is really important and doing it together is your point. So, you know, I think about cars as metaphors, you know, if we're bringing in the system of our automobile to be fixed, we don't bring in one part at a time. We bring in right. the whole car. Right. <laughs> right. Because our mechanic has to see the relationship between the parts in order to have the car run well um, and, you know, have less distress in the drive and hopefully a better drive, a more pleasurable one along the way. Um, and systemic therapists like you know uh like what i do as a uh, certified sex therapist couples therapist family therapist uh there are lmfts out there licensed marriage and family therapists who work in this systemic way by the way i'm uh, happy and excited and delighted to say that i'm a board member of eniafas which is the Yay. new england association <laughs> Yay, yeah the the new england association of family and systemic therapy and um we're a group of LICSWs, M LMFTs, um, therapists, uh, LMHCs, and we're all sort of doing this work of treating the problem, not the people as, as the problem. Right. Um, now, when, you know, if people do have 
their own issues going on with, you know, mental health or um, physical health. You know, it's important for people to be taking care of themselves. You know, this is not something to be ignored, but this is something to be, um, you know, encouraging as a systems therapist. I encourage people to take care of themselves, grow themselves. But again, you know, unless I have both people or, or all family members in front of me, you're right, Vicki, I can't, I can't help the problem of relating as well as if I'm only seeing one part of the system at a time. Right. Because you, right. you have to, like you said, you have to see the relationship between the different parts of the system and, you know, you know, two parts can work perfectly well on their own, but, you know, there might be something different that happens when they bring them together and it's like, ah, that's the, that's the kink in the, in the hose, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's right. Um, and speaking of kink, no, just kidding. We're, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about sexuality, families and sexuality in our part two. This is our part one um, of family and systemic therapy. But, but there is this idea about families and sexuality, and I'll talk more about that later, which is a wonderful and rich um, topic, you know, relationships between parents and children and consent and sexual health and mm. all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that later. But, um, you know, systemic therapy, I like to think of it sometimes as strategic therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Jay Haley talked about strategic therapy as kind of um, five things. Uh, identifying solvable problems, right? Mm-hmm. Just about everything is solvable. I mean, there are some things that aren't like, you know, someone's death. Um, But then, you know, then we're looking at grief. And actually, grief and loss is a big part of any work that we're doing um, Mm -hmm. in the kind of work that I do or in just, you know, general therapy. Um, Loss is usually always at the heart of what's happening for people. But even that is solvable because loss is part of life. Right. Right. So... So identifying solvable problems, that's one. Um, two is setting goals. So I want to know from my clients when they come in, you know, what do you want to be different? You know, what, what in, in three to six months, you know, what if this was a wild success, what would be different, right? So they'll tell me specifically what would be different. And then we design, number three, we design interventions to achieve the identified goals, uh, goal or goals. Um, and then number four, examining the responses, you know, sort of along the way, like how is that going yeah. you know, now that you're doing this or doing that, how is it going? Um, and then five sort of, um, along the way. And certainly at the end, we examine the outcome of the therapy and it's, it's highly pragmatic and it's highly effective because, and it's, it actually, as I'm thinking about it now, it's a metaphor for relationship. It's really good. It's really good communication, right? It's very specific. Um, there's a lot of talking that goes on, but we're not talking about the relationship. We're not talking about the person or our partner or our family member as the problem. We're talking about the problem going better because we're doing something differently because right. we felt something and we knew what we needed. Right, sort of to your point, Vicki. Um, so, so part of this includes like, learning and shifting thinking Mm -hmm. patterns from old ones to new ones for example um you know as a sex therapist of course um we have thoughts like or a client may have thoughts and you know lots of us can relate to you know sex is dirty right might be a thought that comes to mind that's affecting um the ability to have pleasure right or just uh better intimacy right your your partner or for yourself um 
you know, an old way of thinking might be, oh, my wife is an egg, right? So uh, we want to shift those ways of thinking to rather than sex is dirty. You know, I really want to encourage people, right, as I talk about in my message, you know, integrating sex positive thinking. Well, you know, sex is good for our health um, because it reduces anxiety. It increases... (laughs) Sorry, I'm losing my headphone here. So sex is good for, for health because it, it reduces anxiety, increases heart health, reduces blood pressure, helps us sleep better, increases mm-hmm. the likelihood of a healthier prostate, right? For men, I've talked about this before, 21 orgasms a month um, helps men have better prostate health. Um, you know, sex can be used to uh, help procreate and make children, um, or just simply increase pleasurable experiences, connections with partner. Um, so we can go from those old patterns of thinking um, to, to a new one like that. And in the case of my wife as a nag, right, um, we can shift that to, well, my wife asked me to do something. I agreed I would do it, and then I didn't do it. So she talked about it again. No. <laughs> you know, is she nagging? No. Yeah. I made an agreement that I didn't keep. And I can think she's nagging, but now that's making the person as a problem rather than working on the problem, right? If I, if I, if she asks me and I say, if I say I'm going to do it, first of all, let me not say I'm going to do it if I'm not fully on board with it. But if I am on board and I say yes, and then she comes to me about it again, it's not nagging. There's no such thing as nagging, Um, really, uh, as I think about it. It's that she asked me and okay, then let me just say, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get to that and get to it or say oh i gave you an unrealistic uh timeline you know i can do it by this date instead you know sorry i kind of messed that up right so changing how we think and and changing what we do is really important so so a lot of the work that i focus on as people maybe know i don't know if i'm you know being overly repetitive here but making and keeping agreements works breaking agreements doesn't um mm-hmm. Together, we can make new agreements and keep those agreements. Again, don't make an agreement that you don't feel fully on board with, but also be willing to say yes because you want your partner to know that you care and love them and you'll do that to the best of your ability. Remember that 60-40 rule, right? 60% of the time we can get what we want to get in the way that we want it. Um, 40% we probably won't. I think something you said that's important too is when you said, you know, it's easier not I don't know if you said it was easy but saying you know hey I I agreed to this timeline and it was unrealistic like can we do this one instead or or, you know something like that just being proactive and saying no I I know we had agreed on this this no longer works you know what what are our other options here and I think that's Mm -hmm. being proactive in something like that is uh is really important or just being aware if if not proactive (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and look, it's hard because we, we're we not grown up sometimes, even when we're in our 20s and mm. 30s and 40s and 50s. You know, we tend to react. You remember the, you know, uh, Gottman-Schwartz stuff about that cycle of criticism and defensiveness and uh, stonewalling and resentment, right? So marriage helps us grow up. When we start to understand that, okay, mm-hmm. I'm an apple and my partner's an orange, right? So, you know, let me not think that my partner is going to be just like me. They're different. You know, Vicki, I'll tell you, I just had a session um, with a couple and unfortunately uh, is a mom and a dad um, and they have uh, two kiddos and mom got COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, dad had COVID last year 
Um, so, you know, they kind of called me up and this is the kind of couple that will call me once in a while just to kind of mm-hmm. work on whatever problem is coming up, which is great. Um, and so it's relevant and I want to mention it because what ended up happening is that now that she's ill and recovering and he has had to take over, mm-hmm. he's feeling overwhelmed. Um, and they have, you know, well, he's feeling overwhelmed and he became a little defensive in feeling overwhelmed saying to her when she texted or called him, you know, look, let me know what you want every three hours because, you know, every five minutes is just not working for me. And, you know, he's really smart. They're both smart. They're both wonderful. And he quickly realized that that was a counterproductive thing to say. So... He was able to say in the moment, look, I'm really sorry that I did that. I apologize. I'm going to tell you in the moment that I'm overwhelmed. And actually what we came up with, which I thought was very good, is um, tell mm-hmm. me what is what is the emergency now that you really need or what is emergent and we can prioritize. If something else can wait, um, then let's let it wait for half an hour or hour or I'll be in touch and we'll communicate back and forth and I'll tell you when I can get to it. Um, and so this kind of very specific communication is important. And she was thinking, you know, she was sad because she was thinking that he was angry at her for certain reasons when he said, where's that coming from? That's not what I'm thinking. Right. So again, clearing things up, um, we project onto our partner, some of our fears and, you know, in the course of not even an hour, I think it was 55 minutes we were done and they had a new process for moving forward. It's wonderful, and it's and I, and I think it's hard. You know, I think it was very healing. Communicating is hard, and communicating, you know, especially when you're stressed or you're overwhelmed or there's a lot going on or you're doing something that you might not normally be doing. It it gets even harder, and and I think communication takes the hit when it mm. should be. I'm a big over communicator <laughs> when I'm anxious or when I'm nervous. I over communicate because I never mm. want to be misunderstood. Because I'm like, no, 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 like I want you to know exactly where I'm at so you don't yeah. stress. <laughs> so that's how I am. But I think communication takes yeah. the, communication ends up taking the hit. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, it does. And, you know, I think it's really important to remember as sort of a Rogerian way of thinking, Carl Rogers, who said that, you know, people really aspire mm-hmm. to be the best that they can be. You know, we shouldn't assume that our partner is trying to hurt us. Or, or, you know, tear us down in some way. We really, again, this idea of assuming goodwill. And I, I assume that about my clients. I assume that they're trying to solve the problem, um, but they're doing it in a way that's counterproductive. So I'll give them ideas about, here, if you say this or do this or try this, see how that works. And then when they try it in the moment with their partner in the room, this is the thing that's most important. Because if the, if the other person is not in the room, then that right. whole part of the story is missing, other person or people. Let's say it's, it's more than one person. Let's say it's, you know, three people or more. You know, then, then you're getting that perspective, and then you can have them try something new that's a, that's a relational um, sort of uh, fix or solution in the moment, and that's going to make it easier to do that next time. Like saying, I'm sorry in the moment, that is not what I meant, um, I was just overwhelmed. Very. It's very healing. 
And then it's it's if they do it there in the session, well, it's, it's awesome easier to do it instead of time. being like, oh, here we go, we're having another argument, we've miscommunicated again. Instead of looking at it that way, you can say, okay, here's mm-hmm. an opportunity for us to practice what we've been working on. You know what I mean? So it's okay that we've you know had this misunderstanding. How are we gonna you know use what we've learned in therapy to to move forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it doesn't have to be. I'm sorry that I did what I did. It could just be. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that you're feeling like this, and right. I never want you to to be sad, or or to be mad at me. You know, yeah. here's what I meant, or like that. Um, so uh, again, you know, the strategy is is sort of learning new skills, actively doing new things to get a new result, practicing new skills and behaviors. Um, you know, when it comes to uh, couples as families. Um, a lot of what I do with couples, you know, part of that is sex therapy, right? Intimacy therapy. So a sensate focus is something that I use mm-hmm. with folks that gets them touching again, gets them um, utilizing physical affection again. Um, you know, quite often with heterosexual couples or couples in general, I would say, you know, same-sex couples, um, partners who are, you know, um, trans men or women or you know in any situation we just often want to be touched and held right what i was going to say about heterosexual couples and men is that sometimes their heterosexual wives misunderstand that that their yearning and their desire for touch is objectifying or sexualizing them they are not they are just Mm -hmm. wanting to feel desired they are wanting to feel healed they're wanting to feel loved. Um, and, uh, you know, for women, it's about context. You know, is he going to take out right. the garbage like he said he was going to take out the garbage? Or is he going to remember that thing that he said he was going to do? Um, because that makes me feel desired. That makes me feel loved. So if we can sort of speak our partner's language or just remember them or reach out and touch. And that's what Sensei Focus does. It's a non-sexual pleasure practice. Um, that I lead couples through. It's very short term. It's very brief. It's just four times. Essentially, it's four hours in total. And then we talk about how to take the elements of that um, that were wonderful and positive and implement that into intimacy going forward. Or even, you know, in the moment, they can be doing sensei focus in the same week that they're having sex or being intimate. Um, they It doesn't uh, you don't have to sacrifice one for the other. So um, a, a lot of it has to do, the sensei focus, even though it's it's about touching and sensation and pleasure, it's also about communicating. Because people are also in it talking about what feels good, talking about what they like. Again, which increases good communication. It increases the practice of giving and receiving, mm-hmm. which is key to happy relationships, whether the relationships are sexual in nature or not. Um but giving and receiving that practice is key uh, for in the bedroom and beyond the bedroom. Um, so when we start to practice tolerating our anxiety, you know, you once asked me a question, Vicki, and it was a, it was a really good question. And I'm, I can't remember exactly what it was, but you said, is there mm-hmm. an easy way to do that, Donna? Do you remember this? This was like Maybe. a couple of podcasts ago. I can't remember what we were talking about. But we were talking about something and you said, well, is there a way to do something that's easier to do it? And I thought about it and I answered, 
No, not really. And what I, what I also maybe said, or at least should have said, is that part of new doing has to do with beginning to understand, yes, we have worry, yes, we have fear, yes, we have anxiety, and beginning to tolerate it, knowing it's there, breathing through it, understanding it's normal. Um, and, you know, that's, that's partly a, a sort of a big piece of this work is tolerating our anxiety in the face of the thing that gets us uh, worried or fearful. And, and in part, you know, systemic and strategic therapy is exposure therapy to, to our anxiety, teaches us how to manage it better, um, navigate through conflict better in couple family relationships, other relationships in families with parents, you know, in-laws, like for in the example of like in-laws, you know, I get couples coming in and, you know, what do I do about my in-laws? And most of the time I'm going to tell them there's really nothing you can do about it. What do I do about that other person? Mm, probably nothing. The only thing you have control of over, I have control over, any of us have control over is ourselves, right? So we're, we're well, we're coming up on the holidays, but is this going to go um, before? Yes, this one will probably Christmas go first week in yeah. December. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so in that case, you know, when it comes to the holidays, right, um, what mm -hmm. we can do is just take care of ourselves. Uh, ask for what we need and want. You cannot change other people. You know, you can make requests, but if they don't say yes, then, you know, well, okay. Uh, but when it comes to in-laws, there's really, there's not a whole lot you can do. You might want to just sort of leave it to your partner to deal with their family of origin and you deal with your family of origin. But, you know, just take care of yourself. Have as much um, pleasure as you can. Uh, reduce your stress, your own stress level. Find the things that help you feel better, whether it's, you know, going for a walk, getting outside, spending time with your loved ones, um, like that. So, um, just take care of yourself and take care of your relationship. That, that's key by doing lots of the stuff we're talking about. So, um, in the next, in the next part, we're going to be talking a little bit about, um, sort of the doing of clear consent, you know, speaking up for oneself, um, saying yes, no, showing empathy. Um, we're going to be talking about sexuality and families, relationships, with, you know, parents and their children and stuff like that. Neuro, a little more on neurobiology and attachment and how all of this system stuff really helps uh, improve relationships. And relationships are key to happy families, blended families, etc., etc. Thank you for listening, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Vicki. Thank you. For joining us today. And, you know, if you have any questions or, you know, any, any thoughts, want to write in, you know, or call in, please do. Um, on Facebook, you can find us at the Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. You can phone the office. Um, there's a brief waiting list at the moment, but... Um, Please feel free to call anyway, 508-990-9909. The website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. And remember, folks, always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. And we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.